In the name of our risen and ascended Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a book I read earlier this year called How God Became King, which was a good read about the message and context of the gospel. That title, though, is what is of interest this evening, How God Became King. Now, yes, of course, God has always been king, but we didn't always know it and recognize it. At the Ascension, we have a glimpse into the fullness of just how exactly it is that God in Christ became king. In the reading from Luke, Jesus is opening the minds of his disciples to understand what the scriptures are all about, what their trajectory is, and how they are fulfilled in him. Luke records Jesus saying, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name. You are witnesses of these things. On the Feast of the Ascension, we remember and proclaim that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where the monarch sits. So not only is he Christ Jesus or Messiah Jesus, but he is King Jesus. And in his own words, Jesus connects his ascension to the right hand of God with his suffering and rising. Scholars call this a paradoxic exaltation. It is exaltation, yes. We see that in all of tonight's readings, that Jesus is seated on high with all power and authority and greatness. It is no surprise to hear that the Son of God sits on the throne of God. The twist is how he gets there. It is not through a successful military campaign to overthrow the Romans. It is not by setting up shop in Jerusalem as a fixer of everyone's problems and a healer of every disease. It is not by bringing peace and prosperity to every corner of the world. No, the paradox in the exalting of Jesus to the throne of heaven is that it comes through his violent death. When he is lifted high on the cross, we are witnessing his enthronement. And his rising from the grave is not an undoing of that death, but rather a vindication of the steadfast love by which he bore his passion and a transformation of death into life. In other words, God became king through the passion. And this truth fundamentally reconfigures our priorities, allegiances, and assumptions. With the cross as the pattern at the heart of God, things like humility and generosity and mercy are next to godliness. And the values of our society, like influence and wealth and celebrity, they're just mere sound and fury signifying nothing. Jesus makes us a witness to the fact that the cross was not an unfortunate accident on the way to salvation. The cross was not a problem that God had to overcome on Easter. The cross was not God's plan B for redemption. The cross has always been at the center of the love of God. And that is what makes Jesus king. And if our king is crucified, 
Well, then that changes our values, our worship, our communities to likewise be cross-shaped. The result of the cross being central to the kingship of Jesus is that, as he puts it, repentance and forgiveness of sins are to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. It's interesting that Jesus connects his name to repentance and forgiveness. Our anglicized version of his name is Jesus, but in his native Aramaic, it would have been Yeshua, where we get our name Joshua. And in this, in the Hebrew of that word, it means God saves. And so Jesus' very name means God saves. Every time we call on his name in prayer, in exasperation, in agony, in gratitude, we are recalling the fact that God has saved us through the cross and resurrection. Now, repentance is about changing. When Jesus say, says repent, he does not mean I need you to feel sorry or you need to apologize. Rather, repentance is about seeing things differently, seeing them through the prism of the cross and living accordingly. Another way of saying repentance would be to say, be transformed. Now, in and of itself, this would be impossible. If someone tells us to change, to be more compassionate, or more understanding, or slower to anger, maybe we can do that for a couple of hours, a couple of days if we're very good. But real change does not come from within. Transformation is a gift from God. And this is what the forgiveness of sins enables. Our repentance happens in response to God's mercy. Because we are forgiven, it means that we are not beholden to our mistakes. We are not defined by our flaws. We are not indebted to our past. We have been set free. That's what the word forgive means. It means to let go. All of those things that could have been counted against us have been let go of by God. And so that there would be no doubt in our minds about the limitlessness of God's love for us in Jesus, God goes to the cross. It is not that God wanted or needed a sacrifice in order to forgive us, but God wanted us to be confident that all has been forgiven and all have been redeemed. Certain of this forgiveness, we are then freed to repent and follow King Jesus instead of all of those other rulers vying for our allegiance. The difficulty is in really believing that we've been forgiven. Some struggle with this because they refuse to accept the fact that they need to be forgiven. They convince themselves that they aren't that bad or because they have not explicitly or egregiously broken any of the Ten Commandments, they don't need to be forgiven. Others, though, find difficulty in believing that anyone, let alone God, could ever forgive them because they are not sure if they forgive others or more often themselves. There's a condition called Stockholm Syndrome in which people who are captive or held hostage develop positive feelings for their captors. That is a way of understanding our relationship with sin. We are held in the power of sin, and though we are free to walk in the way of love, 
So often we choose not to. This is what St. Paul captures so well when he writes in Romans that I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. It's a trap we all fall into. We do things that do not comport with the people we want to be or who we want people to think we are. We all think things that do not align with the person we strive to be. We all have feelings that betray our values. This is what it means to be a human. We are tangled up in sin. Jesus may well free us from the consequences of sin, but we are not freed from still having to contend with its effects on us. The good news of the ascension, though, is that though we struggle with sin, though we serve false idols, the one seated at the right hand of God, the one who is the judge over all things, is none other than Jesus Christ, who out of love suffered the cross and rose in glory for us. Not only does his death atone for our sins and liberate us from a debt that we could never pay, his place at God's right hand assures us that all shall be well. The ascended Jesus is, as the great hymn puts it, crowned as the Son of God, the Lord of life, the Lord of lords, and the Lord of heaven. Though we struggle with sin, we need not be captive to it, because Jesus, who loves us to death, has been crowned and sits on the throne. And this truth is not a piece of information to just file away. It is a message to proclaim. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. We are to, in thought, word, and deed, show forth this repentance and forgiveness in his name. Because, as we heard in Ephesians, we are the body of Christ. It means that on this side of the ascension, we are the story of Jesus. Our lives are the biography of Jesus because we find our life in his. Jesus has commissioned us as witnesses to remind this world of the hope of forgiveness, of the call to transformation, of the power of love. We cannot claim ignorance. We have come and seen this love that makes all things new. And so it is our role to, with our lives, with our privileges, with our scars, with our pains, with our talents, with our resources, witness to the sort of love that makes us come to church on a Thursday night. The kind of love that makes us forgive those who trespass against us. The sort of love that gives us hope, even in the midst of so much hopelessness. Again, the good news is that we don't have to do this perfectly. We do not have to be a perfect witness. Jesus does not expect that of us or ask that of us. When we falter in our witnessing, we are forgiven. And that forgiveness and our trust in God's mercy becomes a further witness to the power of God's love. Even our failures and our shortcomings witness to the grace, mercy, and love of God. As he ascends, Jesus lifted up his hands and blesses the disciples. This is a blessing that we receive as well through scripture, sacrament, and community. 
We have everything that we need to be witnesses. We have these great things to remind us of the message of repentance and forgiveness, and we also have them to point others towards. Jesus has ascended to the throne of God, and this is why we can boldly believe and proclaim that all things shall be well.